This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Feminism in your ears. It's another broad podcast on Joy 94.9. Keep listening. Hashtag feminism. Hashtag podcast. Hashtag broad on Joy 94.9. I have a, a technical question for you. Yeah, sure. What do people from Melbourne call themselves? What do they call? Oh. Are you Melbourneite? <laughs> Melburners? What, what? Melburnians. Melburnians. Melburnians, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, originally the the settlement when it was the pioneers came out, you know the um yeah the white settlers basically came here. Uh, the original guy was called John Batman, so it was going to be called Batmania, and that didn't happen. <laughs> so probably maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Yes, I think so. <laughs> so we would have been called Batmanians, and that could have been well. <laughs> Pretty crazy, <laughs> unless you're a Marvel person. I'm gonna marry the night. I won't give up on my life. I'm a warrior queen, live passionately tonight. you're listening to Broad on Joy 94.9. But yes, let me introduce you uh, finally. So this is Sonia for Broad on Joy 94.9. And we're speaking to Cleve Jones, talking about his book, his memories and his part in American gay activism, LGBTIQ activism. When We Rise, My Life in the Movement by Cleve Jones. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. So yes, pretty exciting to see a life in a book. What has that experience been like for you to to recall these memories and to see it published in book form? Well, I'm pretty thrilled uh, by the response so far. People seem to really enjoy the book. It mm. took a while to write. <laughs> and when I started it, I thought it would be two equal parts, one before the epidemic, uh, which began in 1981, and, and then the second half following that. But as I started writing about my early days in the uh, late 60s and 1970s, I found that I really enjoyed telling those stories a lot. And because so many of my generation of gay men did not survive the epidemic. I feel like, um, you know, our memories of those times are fading. And I wanted young people in particular to know what life was like for uh, the people we now call LGBTQ back in the days when we were still uh, criminalized Mm -hmm. and living very much in the shadows. So, as it turned out, most of the book ended up about my, being about my youth, and uh, I'm happy for that. And it's quite—it's been quite exciting. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, it's also been my book is the partial inspiration for an ABC uh, network miniseries, which is going to be broadcast here in the state starting this coming Monday. And yes. um, 
it's a uh, eight-hour, four-part miniseries talking about my life and many of my friends, people I've worked with for 40 years now. So it's, it's quite sweet. Yeah, no, we are excited by it. It has been advertised here as well. And uh, SBS, which is one of the television stations here in, in Australia, is going to be playing it, streaming it on demand, they call it. So that starts mm-hmm. here, starts uh, March the 1st. Well, to March you, the 1st. You know, I'm portrayed in this the miniseries, I'm portrayed by two different actors. Uh, Austin P. McKenzie plays the young me, and Melburnian Guy Pierce <laughs> plays older me. Older, so younger, younger you, older you. That's pretty strange. It must be a strange feeling. Guy Pierce is wonderful. Yeah, so a very good actor. He's a charming man. I got to spend time with him as we were in production, and mm-hmm. uh, was very impressed with his abilities. He's also mm-hmm. quite nice looking. Yeah, yeah, not too bad on the eye. But what would I know? I'm a lesbian, so you know. <laughs> But that's that's something. He looks good. <laughs> he looks good. But that's something I wanted to touch on because we are a feminist show, and the first thing that captured me when I'm looking at your book was just the preface. Actually, to begin with, the first line, "The movement saved my life," and then just in the second paragraph, um, where you talk about the women's movement and how important that was for equal rights, the Equal Rights Amendment, and speaking out against rape, sexual harassment, and wage inequity. That's quite something to put that on the first page about the women's movement. Well, that's who I am, and it's mm-hmm. not uh, rhetoric. The movement saved my life. I would not be talking with you today if it were not for the movement. The movement saved my life when I was a teenager getting ready to kill myself because I didn't want to be queer. And then later when I contracted HIV and came very close to dying, ACT UP stormed the National Institutes for Health and the Food and Drug Administration confronted the pharmaceutical industry, mm-hmm. and I gained access to the medications that ultimately saved my life. But I also want people to understand that, you know, for, for gay men of my generation, feminism was a lifeline. And I was very, very deeply influenced by women like Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon long before I met Harvey Milk. Because feminism said that our, our our destinies were not determined by our gender. And so mm-hmm. that message meant one thing to women, but it had another very powerful message for many, many men, especially gay men. So for me, so much of, of the uh, LGBT uh, movement really is based on, it stands on the shoulders of these women who came and I'm, I'm, I've never forgotten that. Yeah, no, I think um, you make that quite clear and later on with Daughters of Belitis, as you mentioned them before, and how how important they were too. And it seems like even though back in that day, those that era, you, you don't have the same sort of easy networks, I suppose, like we take for granted with social media and things like that. The feeling in the book that I come away with is you have even greater sort of interconnectedness through word of mouth, through meeting people, actually physically, you know, going to meet people when you've traveled so much in your life, the journey of your life in this book. How important it was, you know, those those connections and, and making them. Is it, was it harder back then? It was difficult because so much of our lives were, were hidden and mm. we didn't have the, of course, the social media, the technology, but we had eye contact. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Eye contact can be a powerful thing. 
<laughs> also, we had the emergence of, uh, well, I don't know if you use the term in Australia, but we call them gayberhood. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's going away now. And mm-hmm. I, I hope that people read this book and pay attention to the importance of living together in community. And uh, so here in, in San Francisco, the gay, the gay neighborhoods are simply disappearing. And mm-hmm. this is happening all over North America. And I believe it's happening in Europe as well. I don't know if it's happening in Australia. But Part of it is that the cities themselves are being transformed into playgrounds for the extremely wealthy. So these neighborhoods that used to support LGBT bars and taverns and restaurants and bookstores and film festivals and counseling programs and uh, gay-friendly congregations, uh, these are being dispersed due to the extreme high cost of housing. These Mm. typically sprang up in in marginal uh, neighborhoods. So... In the Castro, for example, when gay people started coming to to my neighborhood in the 70s in large numbers, this was a very sort of depressed neighborhood. It had been primarily Irish and Scandinavian immigrants, and they were all moving out. So Mm. there was affordable housing. You could have the, the late night entertainment. Never, it didn't disturb anybody, and, they, and it was affordable. Back in those days, you know, we had about a dozen specifically lesbian venues, dance clubs taverns, coffee shops. Today in San Francisco, there is not a single venue specifically for Mm -hmm. lesbian women. And that is due not to increased acceptance, but to the fact that it's just too expensive for for women to own businesses here. Mm. But you've moved back um, yourself to San Francisco. How long were you away from the, the Bay? I went down to uh, Southern California for several years, mm. and I came back six and a half years ago. I wanted to be back in the Castro. I wanted to be back in San Francisco, and part of it was the experience I had here in 2008 when we were producing the film Milk, yes. and it, it was so strange, and I just went through this again with the uh, ABC production of When We Rise to see my neighborhood transformed by the art department to look like it did when I was 20 years old. (laughs) So that's been quite fun, and it made me so homesick, and I just decided it's ridiculous. I have to live in San Francisco. (laughs) Yes, I've just been looking online, and um, there's some great photos of you on the rainbow um, crossings and things like that, and in the San Francisco, in the Castro. Uh And it must bring back a lot of memories, and of course, talking about working with Harvey Milk, and just how influential he was on you, too. Yes, what can you tell us about that? Meeting time? Harvey was, mm. I think meeting Harvey Milk was the single most important thing that ever happened to me. And I met him at a, a really important time in my life. I was not communicating with my own father. I needed a father figure. Harvey provided that. He mm. was a mentor. He encouraged me. He got me to go back to school took me to work with him at City Hall when he was elected. But what I really learned from Harvey was that we can all cross all of the barriers and boundaries that we built between each other. And to see him, of course, to me at the time, he seemed so much older. Uh, I'm now much older than he was when he died. But Mm -hmm. um, he was a Jewish guy from New York who came to San Francisco. He came out late in life. And just to see the the fearless way that he would approach people and reach out his hand and say, hi, I'm Harvey Milk, and he would make eye contact, and he would begin a conversation, and it could be with people who were very, very different from him, and he would find common ground and begin to build on that. And 
that was a real important lesson for me as a somewhat heterophobic kid. <laughs> That's true. Now, the other thing with that is is looking forward now, fast forwarding to where we are today and activism and, of course, underneath Trump, that regime or some people are calling him number 45 and refuse to call him by his name. In your experience now, what do you think is uh, is uh, one of the most important things for activists today in, in America, and in particular LGBT well, people? Well, we're, we're, we're facing a, a, a very grave threat, and mm. I, uh, I'm very alarmed, mm. frightened, and I'm determined to fight back. And I think what we need most of all is unity. Here in the States, the progressive movement spends a lot of time attacking their own. Uh, we spend a lot of time dividing ourselves into ever smaller subsets where everybody looks and talks and thinks like exactly the same as I do. And it's not useful. Um, our country is very divided by race and gender and sexual orientation and ethnicity. And people really need to stand together uh, to resist what this guy is trying to do to our country. I believe that all of our democratic values uh, hang in the balance right now. And I think that we have headed down a road that could really end up with fascism, with outright fascism. I think there are so many parallels to 1933 Germany that uh, it's impossible to, to ignore that reality. So we have to be very strong, and we have to resist in every way possible and it's, we're going to need help from other countries as well. So mm -hmm. uh, our problem, sadly, is the world's problem, and we are all going to suffer the consequences if this is allowed to continue. Mm. Uh, yes, uh, in our experience down here, often things that happen in the U.S. or Europe, if it's incredibly negative, it does galvanize, unfortunately, those who are um, inclined that way as well. So we do see a... Mm -hmm. you know, an uprise in, in right-wing um, people and organizations, and that does uh, worry the community here too. So I think you're right. We do need to unite um, and think less about those things that make us different, but without, without um, personally without ignoring those things, but hopefully breaking those barriers down. Uh, now, now, Cleve, uh, what happens you in the near future like after the book the television series is coming out are you what are you planning to do next is it world domination most of or? my work today yeah i, I work uh, primarily today with the labor movement i work for a labor oh. union called unite here we're the hospitality workers union oh, cool. we represent a lot of immigrants most of our members are female immigrants oh. uh, working in the big hotels and casinos restaurants airports, college campus, food service. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're, we're a very, we're not the largest union in the United States, but we're growing. We are one of the very few unions that is growing. And one of the reasons we're growing is we refuse to be divided. We are mm -hmm. black and brown and white. We're gay and straight. We're men and women. We're native born and immigrants. And I think that uh, in this last election, despite the, the terrible consequences in our federal election, my union was able to win some very important local and state races uh, around the country. So I expect to spend the next several years traveling throughout the United States 
working with my union, working with the LGBT community, immigrant communities, doing everything I can to help build the resistance to uh, Trump and his really scary, overtly racist, xenophobic, homophobic people that he has placed in power. Yes, I won't keep you much longer, but of interest, I think, is is your background going right back to the beginning and your family and the the experience of being um, brought up in a Quaker household. Um, Do you feel that still affects your judgment and the way you do things? Was that an important part of who you are? Absolutely. Uh, My mother started taking me to Quaker meeting, and supposedly my father's ancestors had been Quaker. Mm. Uh, But my mother's motivation was to keep me out of the war in Vietnam. And so she started taking me to Quaker meeting, but I loved it. And I still... Uh, I think I feel the influence of the the Quakers with me all of the time. And, Mm. uh, you know, one of the nice things about Quakers is they don't proselytize. They're not going to come out and try to convert you. They live simple lives, but they live their lives according to their values. And so at a very early age, I was exposed to people my parents' age and my grandparents' age who had kept their faith and... Uh, lived it in a very quiet way, but the bedrock, if you will, of that faith was a belief that there was that of God within all people. Uh, they Quakers call it the inner light, and so if you believe that all human beings uh, have this spark of divinity within them, then then we must be equal. So within the Quaker societies, women were always equal to men. Mm-hmm. We're often in leadership positions. Out of that belief came the Quaker testimony against slavery mm-hmm. and their involvement with the Underground Railroad and the abolitionist movement. And also out of that came their absolute commitment to, uh, to resist war in all of its forms. That if, if there is that of God within all of us, then we cannot be killing each other. And, mm-hmm. So during the you know the years of my youth, when this country was so convulsed by the war in Vietnam, the Quakers offered a, a very simple but powerful and clear testimony that moved me deeply and still guides me in many ways. Mm. Well, as Armistead, uh, as it Mopan says about you, the book uh, "When We Rise," you are more than just a witness. You have You've been successful in, in, you know, as far as being involved in so many different human rights issues in the U.S. and that have a global reach from your work for AIDS activism as well. These have been significant times in American history in the last 40 or so years. So it's, it's, did you ever think that, hey, this would ever happen to you when you were young? (laughs) You know... In the winter of 1978, I went back to my parents' home for the mm-hmm. first time in many years. And one night I was sitting up with my mom, and we were talking about Harvey Milk, who had been killed a few months earlier. And mm-hmm. my mother was listening to all my stories, and she said, uh, You know, you're living in one of those special times and places. And when you're older, people will be writing books and making movies about the life that you're living now. And uh, I thought she was right, you know, and then later when AIDS came and 
my friends and I were here, and we went through such a terrible, terrible mm-hmm. time, so much loss, so much suffering. But we knew that it was also an historic time, and I think that those years in particular, not just in the United States, but all across the world, LGBT people began to see themselves in a new way. Hmm. And, I, and I think that that terrible tragedy brought men and women together as so many lesbians stepped forward to assist their brothers who were dying at such an appalling rate. It hmm. revealed us at a time of great suffering to the larger society, And I really think that it's our experience with the pandemic that led us to focus so much on the issue of marriage equality. And I think that, you know, for so many working class, middle class people who came to understand that not being married was a matter of life and death, because uh, we saw people, you know, whose the fact that their relationship was not acknowledged by the the, the state or the insurance companies or the families caused even greater hardship for people. And I think out of it, people said, "What? you know, what do you mean this isn't a marriage? Look what we've mm, been through. Look exactly. at what we've endured. Yeah. And how dare you say this isn't a marriage? This is exactly what a marriage looks like. This is exactly what a community looks like. So mm. uh, one never wants to say, you know, that something good comes out of such horrible misery. But the AIDS epidemic strengthened us as a people. All across this, this planet, it strengthened LGBT people and gave us new determination. And now that mm-hmm. we face this new threat out of Washington, D.C., I think it's important to look back mm. to those previous threats and all the times in our history when we thought, oh, this is over, we're defeated, mm. we can't go on. But we did. We continued, and we will continue again, and eventually we will win. Mm, exactly. Well, those are, yeah. Inspiring and inspiring uh, periods of time where people can look back so much and not see that stuff can be happening right under their nose, but um, and we can't let it run away from us. And we certainly feel for um, our trans brothers and sisters at the moment over there as well. Yeah, today is a sad day. Very sad. Yeah. But in any case, I have taken up a lot of your time. I'm so sorry to have gone over a bit there. But I just want to thank you no very, worries. very much yeah, for, for speaking to us here on Broad. But before I do let you off the hook, basically, I wonder if it would be possible for you to do a station ID for me. Would that be something you could just... What do you want me to say? Oh, well, um, I guess so. your name would be great. And, uh, and you're listening to Broad. That's the name of the show, Broad as in Broad's. On Joy 94.9, and anything you like, that would be great. This is Cleve Jones, and you're listening to Broad on Joy 94.9. <laughs> Fantastic. I love the way Americans say broad. Broad. <laughs> broad. 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 <laughs> broad. <laughs> Any All chance right. you're coming to Australia? So oh, thank you very much, Cleve. I would love to. Yeah. Uh, take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Trish Bendix on Broad on Joy 94.9. Wow, fantastic. Um, try not to uh, get too choked up there myself. Uh, talking to uh, Cleve Jones, uh, which was fan- just, just great. Uh, when We Rise, My Life and the Movement is the Book. And it is out through Constable Books Publishing. Basically, it's the career 
It covers the career of the activist known as Cleve Jones that began back in San Francisco in the U.S. in the 70s. He was mentored by the pioneering gay rights leader Harvey Milk and then went on to, after Milk's uh, tragic uh, death assassination, went on to co-found the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and in 1987 conceived the NAMES Project, uh, the AIDS Memorial Quilt, which has more than 85,000 Americans' names and memorialised on that quilt who passed away from AIDS. He's been portrayed by Emile Hirsch in uh, Gus Van Sant's Academy Award-winning film Milk from 2009. And now, of course, um, with the upcoming web series, the miniseries, playing on SBS On Demand from March the 1st until March the 11th. So just a little miniseries there uh, with the Academy Award-winning screenwriter Dustin Lance Black penning that, of course. And it is partially based on the book When We Rise. So... It's called When We Rise, so of course it's based on um, what what Cleve has put together in this, this fabulous book. It's a, such an inspirational book and, and entertaining because who would have guessed this guy would be in the epicentre of so much change and so much revolution and activism and, and hope and inspiration. Certainly influential. So he's, yeah, he'd love to come to Melbourne sometime and I'm sure that he'd be very welcome here. I want to thank, um, of course, uh, people for organising that and thanks to Cleve Jones for speaking to us here on Broad on Joy 94.9. Hi, this is Clementine Ford. You're listening to Broad on Joy 94.9 and I'm encouraging all of you to fight like a girl just as I know Sonia does. Is he handsome? Oh, no, he was idiot. Usually when my lovers leave and cheat, they leave for more attractive men. I actually thought we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. Well, guess what, Cleve Jones? What? You are going to meet... The most extraordinary men, the sexiest, funniest, brightest men. You're going to meet so many of them, fall in love with so many of them, you won't know till the end of your life which ones were your greatest lovers and which were your greatest friends. Is that supposed to help? Maybe a little, or not. I went to Spain last month. Long story. In Barcelona, there was this memorial march for gay people that had died under Franco. Of course, the police tried to break it up, but these queens didn't run, no. They turned around and they started a fucking riot. I saw a bullet, one of those big rubber bullets ripped through a drag queen scout, but she kept on fighting. She was screaming, but she kept on fighting. I mean, my, our lives. There was blood literally running in the gutter. On the gutter. We could have a revolution here. But you can't.
can't use the Castro just to cruise. You have to fight. You really think you'll win? <sighs> Winning's not my strong suit. Well, I don't do losing ever. Maybe I should run for office and you could run for me. Hmm? I mean, if you can do it. Can you assemble a thousand people in an hour? Fuck yeah. Well, if I run again, you're going to be my man. If? You're so tall. The polls are open in three hours. How about you and I hit the bus stops? Thank you, sisters. You've been listening to this broad podcast here on Joy 94.9. Don't forget to tune in to us Monday nights at 9 p.m. on Joy for feminism in your ears. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organization, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.